When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. From Cedarburg Public Library Radio. Good evening, and welcome to the interviews of candidates for Cedarburg School Board. My name is Ellen McFarlane. I am a member of the League of Women Voters of Ozaki County. Because of the pandemic, our usual candidate form format has changed. Tonight, we will be interviewing the school board candidates separately, one by one, and there is no audience present. The interviews are being recorded by the Cedarburg Library radio station. The unedited audio recording will be available to the public on the Cedarburg Public Library radio station Facebook page and the Cedarburg Public Library YouTube channel, as well as the League of Women Voters of Ozaki County's website blog and Facebook page. We reached out to the four candidates for Cedarburg School Board by phone and by email. We thank Mary Jo Canham and Sam Cox for participating tonight. More than 35 questions from League members and residents of Cedarburg were submitted to us electronically. The League's voter services team then reviewed and collated the questions into a final list. The questions were emailed to the candidates over the weekend. Each candidate will have one minute for an opening statement and then 90 seconds to respond to each question. All candidates will be asked the same questions. At the end, each candidate will have two minutes to summarize their positions on the issues. The views expressed during the interview are each candidate's position and not those of the League of Women Voters. The League does not endorse any candidate. Now I would like to welcome Sam Cox, candidate for the Cedarburg School Board. We'll begin with the introductory remarks. You have one minute, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me here tonight. My name is Sam Cox, and in the past three years as a board member, I believe I have helped our district to accomplish a litany of achievements of which we should be proud. We have passed and seen through a referendum which has made our facilities state-of-the-art without having much of a financial impact on the individual taxpayers of our community keeping the safety, security, and education of our students at the forefront. We have made teacher compensation a higher priority than we ever have since Act 10 in an effort to attract and retain our hardworking teachers. We continue to navigate educating our students through a pandemic, mitigating unforeseen circumstances throughout the last year better than ever could have been expected. I recognize, though, that my work as a board member is not done. We need to work to foster an environment of equity, inclusion, and non-discrimination now more than we ever have in the past. These issues are certainly not new, but we need to understand the importance of addressing these issues now. We need to continue to prepare our students to be critical thinkers and problem solvers as what information they know and how they know it continues to change at an exponential rate. Thank you. Thank you. Now for the questions. You will have 90 seconds to respond to each question. 
First, what are the challenges facing the Cedarburg School District and school board for the 2021-2022 school year? How should these challenges be addressed? One challenge facing our district will be that of student engagement. Students have had so much to deal with attending school virtually, in person, temporarily virtually while quarantined, or a combination of the above. Engagement in the curriculum has been difficult for some, and strangely, a return to school in the fall can be another curve, given what students have gotten used to this year. I feel that active engagement over passivity may be a challenge for our educators and students. Obviously, the physical and mental health of our students, teachers, and school personnel is another challenge. This year has been exhausting, more than any other, as an educational professional and as a student. We need to stop for a second to make sure that we are okay. We need to support each other and see what we can do to be responsive to the needs of our district family. Continuing to attract and retain high-quality educators is another challenge. We have made a commitment to addressing wage disparities between equally effective or more effective teachers in our district compared to those in other districts, but there is still a lot of work to do in that regard. Until we compensate our teachers in a way that retains them here and that our district can continue to benefit and reap the rewards from the investment that we've made in them with regards to their professional development and nurturing them as the most important facet of our educational system, we will never be free of this challenge. A final challenge that I think I'll probably have the opportunity to expand more upon later in this interview will be the dismantling of inequitable structures by removing barriers to student learning. Um, and that is a challenge definitely for this year and beyond. What are your views on the best way to handle educating students in a COVID environment, taking into account physical as well as mental health? Honestly, I don't think anyone has educated students perfectly during this COVID environment. But I think that given our circumstances, we've done very well. We've put in as many safeguards as reasonable to account for the physical health of our students and educators. There have been cases, to be sure, but the district has worked tirelessly to contact Trace to provide alternatives for those students requiring a temporary quarantine and has been proactive. As for the mental health aspect, it is completely understandable that levels of anxiety and depression increase during a pandemic that students need to socially distance in schools, wear masks to ensure their safety and that of their classmates and teachers, stay in their desks for prolonged periods of time while they're used to a school environment in which movement has been part of their creative expression and learning, makes this particular period of time even more difficult for many to not experience a worsening state of mental health. I think this makes it even more important, given everything, to make sure that we are teaching children empathy building their self-esteem, helping them navigate the pressures of adolescence and coping with trauma. How we educate must be responsive and relevant to the lives our students are leading. And COVID has certainly been a major player in how students have had to deal with the pressures of living and going to school. Being cognizant that this form of education is more nuanced now than ever is a first step in helping our students through this pandemic and whatever is facing them in the future. Tell us how you would manage education in the next school year, assuming the pandemic is under control. Would you consider keeping parts of the policies that were implemented during the pandemic in this school year? Certainly. Our mitigation strategies that have led to state-of-the-art cleaning and sanitation of our buildings is something that is to be admired and must stay in place. We've made necessary changes from last year to this because of a situation that we were unprepared for, but these changes have been positive have really worked to mitigate the effects of COVID and should be kept as possible. 
Next, despite the fact that in-person education is obviously the ideal method of instruction for students, teachers, and families, this year we've leveraged technology to assist in communication, formative feedback, and creative assessments in a way that we may not have for quite some time had we not had to rely so heavily on technology during this period. I can see educators continuing to use what they have learned initially in a trial-by-fire way, but that they've continually modified, improved, and perfected to differentiate their education of our students and maximize their learning potential. And finally, I also think there's been a mindset, more in this past year than ever before, of keeping a, a, a particular question at the forefront of our educational philosophy, and that is, what can we do to remove barriers from students having equitable access to what we offer as an educational institution? While the answers to this question have varied and have been unique due to the circumstances we've found ourselves in this past year, I nevertheless believe this mindset should be a central guiding question in how we approach our decisions as a district and as a board. What will you do to change the curriculum in our schools to educate our students in all grades about how to be anti-racist? Okay, first, I have to be really clear about what I understand the differences are between being not racist and anti-racist. I understand not racist as meaning not actively taking part in racism, while being anti-racist is being intentional in the dismantling of racism, discriminatory practices, and prejudices based on race. Anti-racism is interjecting oneself and fighting for the eradication of racist policies and beliefs while being not racist is essentially absolving oneself of all involvement and responsibility in identifying and eliminating racism. So then, being an anti-racist institution requires the understanding that we as educators and as a school board that supports our educators are lifelong learners, instilling in our students the importance of lifelong learning in this regard. It requires our humility. It requires listening to and engaging with and valuing those who are racially, linguistically, and culturally different than we are. It requires that we constantly re-examine our own ideas, beliefs, and truths, and engage in the sometimes uncomfortable conversations involving them. We at times must expect non-closure. And it's incumbent upon us to make curricular decisions that are a reflection of this philosophy. Through this, we can work toward developing a culture and an ethos in the Cedarburg School District in which not only do we make our values as a community known, but we pass these values on to our students to prepare them for life after leaving our school district. It's important that we prepare our students, not necessarily for our own community, but for their world that they will experience as young adults and leaders in an increasingly diverse society. Do you believe the district should hire a full-time equity director? Why or why not? If so, what should their role be? It's possible. But there are things we have to do immediately before understanding what that role means for us. Work that we must first do independently so whenever subsequent efforts can align with a district philosophy regarding equity, inclusion, and non-discrimination, we know what that means. Professional development has been and will continue to be important in addressing equity issues moving forward. The community is eager to provide their voice and have a seat at the decision-making table, and by all means they should. We need to overtly show our support as a school board in our educators' self-assessment and curricular assessment of how to remove barriers and provide a well-rounded and more inclusive education. We need to take a look at our curricular materials and understand what we imply by not including representative materials in what we use to teach. I've heard from some in the community worried about a theoretical sacrifice in rigor or academic excellence were we to do this. 
Giving our students an education with equity, inclusion, and non-discrimination as a focus, and that academic excellence are not mutually exclusive. In fact, colleges, universities, and the workplace increasingly recognize and reward that sort of preparedness in our students. As such, it may be possible to train and designate someone already on staff to be an internal equity director as part of their workload. It may be more than that. We need to do some work on our end first to understand the best way to move forward and address these issues, and it is urgent that we do this work. We cannot allow that students continue to go through our schools feeling as if integral parts of their identities are not valued in their education. What is the Cedarburg School District doing to prepare students to be responsible citizens? What else would you encourage the school district to do? The list of what CSD does is far too comprehensive to touch on everything in 90 short seconds, for sure. Some examples, though, include the Global Scholars Program that challenges students to be globally competent learners and to understand world issues from a variety of viewpoints. Our language programs at the high school have organized language immersion abroad experiences for our students to develop friendships with citizens abroad and to understand cultural practices and authentic language use in ways that simply cannot be replicated in a classroom. Our community service club encourages students to give back and helps to foster pride and a sense of belonging and the idea that one's home is much more than the house in which they live, uh, but can extend as far as they're willing to extend that idea. That being said, I don't think we can ever say we don't need to do more for our students to be ready to be leaders in our world. We need to continue to reflect upon what opportunities we can offer our students to investigate the world beyond their immediate environment. We need to teach in ways to encourage our students to be able to not only identify differences and similarities between themselves and other people, but to be able to explain and articulate their own and others' perspectives respectfully and thoughtfully. We need to give students the skills to communicate ideas effectively with diverse audiences and see it as their responsibility to bridge barriers, whether they be ideological, geographic, linguistic, or cultural. And finally, we need to give students the skills to take action to improve our conditions, all the while viewing themselves as very important contributors in that improvement. How would you address the need for additional counselors at all levels in the school district to help students cope with situations they are faced with daily? So the American School Counselor Association has recommended for years a ratio of 250 students to every one counselor. The ratio of students to counselors in our district is not anywhere near that. If we include school psychologists, the ratio approaches that number, but it, is still, it still does not meet it. Our counselors guide our children through their academic and career plans and make sure their class selections align with them. They help students deal with pressures, with relationships. They advocate for our students. They provide them direction. They help our, student, they help our students ensure that they're involved in a school culture and are well-rounded individuals. They help them through mental and personal struggles. They provide advice and listen in confidence. But with caseloads like they have, they're able to dedicate so little time to the individual needs of their students. Nevertheless, they work tirelessly to provide each of their students with the individual attention they deserve. Having had two of my children already graduate from Cedarburg Public Schools, I can say from experience that the counseling staff and the school psychologist staff are second to none. But they've been overloaded. Unfortunately, though, with, like with so many other issues, the question boils down to what we can budget toward personnel to adequately, adequately sorry, provide services for our students. We've asked our counselors and school psychologists to do the impossible. And with a currently increasing student population and the additional complications of helping our students navigate a pandemic, 
they're bound to be stretched more than they ever have been in the past. They've responded better than we ever could have asked them to, but we're in danger of losing them unless we make them a priority and look to hire additional personnel for the benefit of our students. If elected, what is your commitment to listen to and respect the input from your constituents, whether or not you agree? The community has an open line of communication to the board, and the schools function best when the community takes an active interest and involvement in how their school operates. That being said, there are some issues that have come up in which consensus on how to handle them is never going to be achieved, quite frankly. Take, for example, our plan to reopen last fall. There was no clear precedent from uh, school to school in the area with regards uh, how to open. We had no historical data that could help us inform this decision. We had a very impressive, but in some ways still limited educational and safety infrastructure already in place. And constituents' opinions ranged from close down schools completely and go all virtual to open them all up and don't require any change in social distancing practices and protocols, masks, cafeteria behavior, et cetera. In the end, it was the board's responsibility to make a reopening decision that considered community input, while at the same time providing some flexibility for students to take advantage of our educational opportunities in a safe way. And we did give families some autonomy in making decisions best for them and their children. Of course, some people did not end up happy, wishing everything was different, back to normal and fair, and so did I, but we had a pandemic thrown at us that made normal have to take a back seat for much of this year. I, I would like to remind all the public that, that my position as a board member is nonpartisan, and I hope people don't lose sight of the fact that politics need to stay out of our decision-making as a board. In my role as a board member, I do not align myself with any politician or any political ideology. The decisions I've made and will continue to make come with the best interests of our students and district in mind. Thank you. That was the last question. Now you will have two minutes to summarize your position. Okay, thank you. We are truly privileged. As a parent of students that have already graduated from Cedarburg High School, as well as students currently at Webster and in Thorson Elementary School, I know that Cedarburg Public Schools and its teachers are wonderful. We are leaders in student achievement and we are admired as such throughout the state. However, there is always room for improvement and there are always concerns that need to be addressed. The thoughtful questions that our community has submitted are evidence of that. Whether it be concerns revolving equity, preparedness, or the pandemic, we need a responsive school board to address these concerns head on. Just as we expect from our students, our constant reflection upon what we do, how we do it, and our desire to continually improve ourselves are paramount for us to remain in a place where we are recognized as leaders. That being said, I think the two best candidates to do just that are those who have shown up for this forum tonight. You've heard Mary Jo speak for herself, and I hope that my answers in this forum have convinced listeners and other involved citizens and have earned your votes on April 6th. Going forward, and given whatever challenges face us as parents, co-educators, and community members, I feel the two of us interviewed tonight are the best equipped and most interested in ensuring we move forward together. We understand and will work not to lose touch in understanding that it is when our students, educators, administration, school board, and community all work together toward common goals in ways that are honest, appreciative, valued, respectful, and empathetic, we can truly continue our district's mission of challenging students to achieve their goals and dreams. I look forward to having the opportunity to serve the members of this community during another term as school board member. Thank you. Thank you, Sam, for giving us your time and your thoughts this evening. It is the League's hope that these interviews will give you, the voters, information that will help you cast an educated vote on April 6th.
Thank you.